0: All right, back on the Young Turks, before we go to our guest, I wanna read one comment. A lot of you are concerned about space pirates, obviously, <laughs> oh, right, you're not. And please do not bother Ted Cruz on Twitter, he he gets, he will go crying to mommy, so don't, don't do that, okay? In other words, go do that right now. Okay, Freedom Tide writes in. Uh, Young Turks, hey, I like two scoops of sugar in my Kofefe. Good point. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I should look into the oranges of that saying though. Uh, He included hashtag TYT live, that's what you do to get uh, on air here and get your comment on air. And hashtag too strong, indeed. I was wearing the Ilhan Omar too strong shirt yesterday. Check it out at shoptyt.com, I threw that plug in. All right, let's go to our next guest. Joining me now is Angel Padilla. She is the Indivisible National uh, Policy Director. And Ed, we're going to talk about two different issues. First of all, welcome uh, to the program.
1: Yeah, glad to be on. Oh, sorry, he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I've been totally fine.
0: Okay. So um, that was a fun beginning. Uh, we're going to continue the fun because in one of the policies, uh, you guys wrote out this um, uh, question, which I am uh, greatly amused by. This is a defining moment for the Democrats, Democratic House. Are they going to stand up for the people or give Trump what he wants? Sight unseen, I'm gonna vote with door number two, give Trump what he wants. Okay, but in all seriousness, that is part of your defund hate program. So tell us what that is and whether you think the Democrats are actually gonna stand up to him.
1: Yeah, so uh, we are members of the defund hate coalition, but it's it's co chaired by Detention Watch Network and United We Dream. So those are immigrant rights groups that are leading uh, the fight to basically defund those hateful agencies that are tearing families apart. Um, look, there's a lot of noise that's happening uh, in Congress every day. There's um, a lot of things in the in the headlines. But there are very few things that that are actually gonna pass this year that are actually gonna move through Congress. Um, we totally get that one of the goals of the next year and a half is to, is to give uh, voters an alternative vision to America than the one that Donald Trump uh, is presenting. Um, but the bottom line is that there are few opportunities to actually make some huge legislative uh, differences uh, and the budget is one of them. Uh, the budget represents our values and Up until now, um, what Congress has done you know when it's con- when it 's been controlled by both Republicans and Democrats, what they have done is that they 've given more money to ICE and CBP, which has then been used to tear families apart it 's not just the ones at the border it 's what happens every day. ICE is tearing families apart, ripping people from their beds in the middle of the night, going to work sites, and taking parents away from their kids. That is happening every day and this year, with Democrats in control of the House, they can actually start to claw back some of that money, uh, which is what we hope they will do.
0: So Angel, how's that going? Because um, look, if uh, you're asking them to abolish ICE, Democrats aren't gonna come anywhere near that. Uh, Just asking them to defund it a little bit. um, I'd be surprised if they went for it, so I'm curious, I don't
1: know. Uh, Are are, are they on board? Uh, So this is gonna be a tough fight, but this is one of the few fights that we can actually make an impact on this year. So, what we have been calling for is, you know, we've had Trump for two years now, a little over two years, and while he's been uh, in the White House. His Republican Congress gave him a ton more money. I mean, detention has increased by 50% in the last two years since he took the White House. That is because Congress gave it to him. It seems fairly reasonable that Democrats now, after activists and after progressives and after voters gave them the power to hold Trump accountable and to protect those communities, they can at the very least take back the money, bring it back down to where it was at the end of the Obama years. Now, now we think that detention and enforcement was too high under Obama, but at the very least, given that this has been a central part of the Trump administration, his campaign, what he thinks he's gonna run on. And and essentially the biggest target for Trump is immigrants. The very least that Congress can do and and the democratically controlled House can do is bring back funding at the very least to the Obama levels in FY16.
0: You say at the very least, I'd be dramatically surprised. But I love that you guys are fighting for it. And at least it's not the bad old days. In the bad old days. There were no Democrats on your side. They'd be like, "Oh my God, we're going to meet the middle ground. Middle ground is, you know, he wanted a gazillion dollars, and we gave him ninety percent of a gazillion dollars." Uh, so now, at least you have Democrats on your side, like AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, all the just Democrats, etc. So it'll be interesting to see how that fight goes. Uh, now, let's talk about pharmaceutical battles. So yes. now oh, the Democrats say they really want to keep drug prices down. So you, here, you might actually have an ally. Tell us uh, what the issue here in specific that you guys are fighting for, and then are the Democrats
1: supportive on this one at least? Great. And so, again, this is one of those issues where uh, Democrats have not really decided which approach they're gonna take. But going into this Congress after the election, one of the things they kept hitting on was how they were gonna lower prescription drugs for consumers and for for the public. Uh, Well, now is their chance. Um, and what we have been hearing out of the Hill is that there is a little bit of a debate within the Dem caucus. Uh, they have one approach, which is very, uh, pharmaceutical friendly. And there's another approach that is very consumer, uh, and people friendly. Uh, we obviously want to see them uh, go with the with the approach that would actually reduce prices for most consumers and and most Americans. Uh, the issue is basically: Do you empower uh, HHS, the, the you know Department of Health and Human Services? Do you empower them to negotiate on behalf of of consumers? They are the largest buyer of pharmaceutical uh, of pharmaceuticals, so they have a lot of buying power, and so they can negotiate prices. Uh, and that is the progressive approach led by uh, Congressman Doggett uh, out of Texas. It's the Doggett bill. Uh, or uh, what we've been hearing is that Dem leadership is, is you know, trying, to, trying to find a middle ground here and try to have a, a third party negotiate. Again, this is a third party arbitrator is what they are kind of leaning towards. Uh, that basically means that a lot of those same executives, a lot of those same pharmaceutical employees who are now providing that third party arbitration. Uh, It's a revolving door, uh, as we all know. Um, They are the ones who are going to be negotiating, which means that it means it means fewer. uh, That means that they're going to be fighting more for the pharmaceutical companies than for consumers. So we just think it's simple, right? There's a a progressive option. It's the Doggett bill. That's what we hope Democratic leadership will do. But at the moment, they are torn, and we hope they will do the right thing. So I'm going to take a wild
0: guess at this one: that the congressmen who are in favor of the pharmaceutical-friendly version of the bill. Take some campaign donations from pharmaceutical companies. Could I be onto something here, Angel?
1: I think you might be. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think it reflects their positions once they get elected. Yeah.
0: Uh, <gasps> you're not allowed to say that, Angel? Oh my God, Anderson Cooper's going to be so mad. Are you saying these beloved politicians might be influenced by the millions of dollars that they receive? Are you going to make a scandalous point like that?
1: Not me. You didn't hear from me. Okay.
0: So, look, this is. Just when I thought I couldn't be disappointed anymore by Democratic leadership, here, you've done it, congratulations. Because this one is a layup. They promised, to, they ran on this one, and they, this was one of their top promises. So I thought Pelosi, like I never believed that she's actually gonna do it. She, I thought she was gonna just say, okay, yes, we'll pass it in the House, but we know the Republicans will kill in the Senate, so it's all kabuki theater anyway.
1: But she's now not even going to do the Kabuki theater. So, so again, the reason why we're raising this is because uh, they have not made a decision. So that's why action now can actually influence the outcome, right? If they're hearing from consumers, from the public, from voters, from constituents, if members of Congress are hearing that, hey, we want you to take the approach that favors consumers uh, and the public then we can actually make a difference uh, there's a lot of noise in, in dc there're a ton of headlines and so there are few opportunities to actually influence the outcome it's on on drug prices it's on the dream act it's on the budget it's on uh, it's on you know a blank check for endless war there are few moments where we can actually make an impact and that's why uh, you know one of our jobs that we that we try to serve our our network is you know trying to demystify that noise uh, so that they get the, the sort of actionable items, and these are these are just a couple. So I wanna go back to this up in a second, but you said people can help, so how can people help? Well, they should t- contact their, their members of Congress. Right now, there is uh, again, there is a bill, the Doggett bill, there's 123 co-sponsors, I think. Uh, what leadership has said is that they will not bring a, a bill to, to the floor unless there are 218 co-sponsors. Um, that is true for the pharma bill, but then also the Doggett bill, but also a few others um i think i think a lot of people think that okay we are the worst is behind us because um because we now have the house and that is true to a certain extent but right now the bills that we're working on these are the same bills that are going to move in 2021 when we actually take back power and so the details matter there are there are bills like the doggett bill um, where if we get the right outcome, that means that in 2021, we will actually make a difference and make a real impact in the lives of Americans.
2: Mm,
0: yeah, God, I love that you guys are fighting for it. Uh, and I love people power, but when, when it's real, there's no way Pelosi's gonna do it. I mean, and look at the comical uh, conversation we're having, which is, um, should we go with the legislators that are for the consumers or the legislators for the drug companies? <laughs> Why do we have legislators that are for the drug companies? <laughs> I mean, it's, and we've come to accept it in watching like, oh, that's just normal. Yeah, well, okay, those guys are, you know, they, they represent the drug companies, so obviously they they want to make sure that Americans pay more, so that the executives of those drug companies who fund their campaigns profit more. So yeah. it's the, it's the heart of corruption, and if, until you get the money out of politics, these guys are going to be corrupt till the end of time. Uh, so, look, Angel, that gets me to a larger question, which is, can we just be honest about it? There's a civil war in the Democratic Party between the corrupt and the non-corrupt. And so, look at what you're trying to do, you're trying to push a boulder up a hill to get Nancy Pelosi and Democratic leadership to do the absolute bare minimum that they promised on a super easy question, which voter is in favor of higher drug prices?
1: Yeah, I mean this should be a no-brainer, uh, and you know, Dem, Dem leadership polls this, you know, over and over again. There's a reason why pharmaceutical prices are are on the table now, is because they polled all last fall on it. Uh, this is something that consumers actually care about, um, so it should be a no-brainer. But as we know, uh, we need to get money out of politics, which is why you know one of the one of our priorities going into this Congress was HR one. For the for the people act which would one of the provisions in there would be to get money out of politics. We absolutely need to prioritize reforming our our government, our democracy in 2021. Because if we don't reform our democracy, if we take back power, then we're gonna continue down this road where where the wealthy, the, the corporations, the donors are in control of our own government, which is why again, we have the next year and a half to do everything we can to take back power. And then step one needs to be reforming our democracy
0: right. And everybody, you can find out more at Indivisible.org. But I want you to understand, Indivisible is a grassroots group. So they they get their power from you guys, and that's why I think it's a great group. And if you don't participate, then they've got nothing. But if you guys do participate, then you actually can make a big difference. So Angel Padilla, thank you so much for joining us on The Young Turks, really appreciate it. And thank you for fighting on all these issues. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right, guys. I'm gonna ask you to fight on on these issues as well in Iowa, June 8th, tyt.com slash rally. I'm not saying anything except for everything I've said. When we come back, uh, someone's suing Fox News. We're gonna talk to her, and it's actually a harrowing case. And, And there's conservatives on both sides. It's fascinating. So don't go anywhere. All right, uh, we've got a really interesting guest for you guys right now. Joining me now is Lori Loon. Uh, She is uh, suing Fox News uh, and actually a couple other folks, and has a a harrowing story about uh, the guy who used to run Fox News, Roger Ailes. Lori, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank
2: you for having me.
0: So uh, let's let's start this way. Uh, Who's named in your lawsuit? Who are the folks you're suing?
2: Well, Suzanne Scott- who is CEO of Fox News, and I'm suing Fox News. And then there's an mini-seri- eight-episode miniseries coming out next month on Showtime. And I'm suing Showtime because they stole my life, they monetized my tragedy, and they haven't compensated me in any way or were interested in bringing me on as a consultant or... Paying mm-hmm. me for ripping off my life, and Gabriel Sherman, who coursed me into an interview, printed lies and didn't correct the lies. And then he sold his he sold the story to Showtime, and that's mm-hmm. what's coming out. and And it's going to be garbage. Mm-hmm. That they, they don't know the story. They <laughs> I'm going to have to write my own book to to get mm-hmm. my story out because there's so so. Much defamation and lies. So, uh, so of course,
0: I haven't seen this series and I don't know the story, so I don't know who's right or wrong about that. But, Lori, you're here, so I want to get your side of the story. So, um, first, though, let's go back to what happened in the first place uh, f- for people to understand uh, why you had the issues with Roger Ailes to begin with. So, how did you first come across Roger Ailes?
2: About 30 years ago, I was the a- Staffer on uh, George Bush for president. Um, George H. W. Bush was vice president running for president, and Roger Ailes was his media advisor. And I I met him a couple of times, just passing in the hallway, mm-hmm. and that was my first experience with him. But I I was real excited about the work that he had done, and that's what I was interested in after. Working on that campaign, and I found myself a couple of years after Bush had been elected, jobless, and um, I ended up. I, I had a, a meeting, an interview with Roger Ailes, and shortly after, i um, he he pretty much blackmailed me and photographed me and compromising photographs. I, I went for an interview and um, that's kind of what went on for about for many years was that he held this over my head and, and said that he used it as an insurance policy that I would be loyal to him and this is, this was Roger Ailes big thing, loyalty.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> a, a lot of thugs and criminals uh, uh, f- focus on loyalty because they don't want to be turned in for all the things that they've done wrong including this president, but so uh, Roger Ailes went on to run Fox News. Uh, He uh, helped Murdoch start it and he ran it uh, until uh, he was finally deposed uh, because of all the sexual harassment uh, charges that were uh, brought out against him and certainly proved enough to uh, warrant a lot of settlements on the part of uh, Fox News. And so uh, there's, I don't think anyone. Outside of a couple of Fox News hosts, now doubts that Roger Ailes did those things. So, uh, but but he worked for a lot of Republican presidents, including Richard Nixon and George H. W. Bush on their campaigns. So when you guys worked together, obviously you were a conservative. You were working on George H. W. Bush's campaign. Is that well? Is the that world was a
2: pretty different place in 1988. You have mm. really young viewers, I, I know, and you know, just just think at wow, what things were like in '88 and. George H.W. Bush was a very different candidate. He, he was not near the he as a matter of fact he he was at one one time pro choice. He he, yeah. he wasn't That's right. No, he that's, wasn't the super conservative. He but
0: he, no, he wasn't. And in and in fact, uh I know because I was a Republican back then and I supported George H.W. Bush and and uh, the political spectrum has completely shifted in Washington and the uh, and the Republican party has become much more conservative uh, etc so but but you guys worked on the same campaign but Roger Ailes didn't do anything wrong uh, with you during the campaign no no i
2: didn't i didn't know him and that's one of the things that i feel like i've been lied about for so much about things that never happen. you know you can't speak to things that never happened i didn't even know him during the campaign other than to say hello in the hallway and i did as i said i met him a couple years after.
0: So what kind of a job were you looking for at that point with Roger Ailes when you went to go interview with him?
2: I had just worked on a campaign down in Florida and I I just took my resume. He he had Ailes Communications at the time.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And
2: um, so he had a a media firm out in Alexandria and I was just trying to get my foot in the door.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so what happened during the interview?
2: Roger Ailes is all about sizing people up pretty fast and kind of seizing on their, at least with me and with, with a lot of people, and probably men and women, see their insecurities and figuring out their vulnerabilities pretty fast. He asked me a lot of personal questions about my my mother, my family life, mm-hmm. That's very unusual. strange for an interview. I'd never been in a situation like that. but. Um that's kind of how he sizes people up. And really, fast forward to, to the summer of 96 when Mr. Murdoch wanted to, was launching or early 96, launching Fox News. Um, that's when I finally did go to work officially for, for Fox and for, for Roger with Tony Snow and Fox News Sunday during the launch of Fox News Channel and I was real excited about that. And I had a good experience, but um, <laughs> at least working with Tony Snow and mm-hmm. doing doing the work that we we did, booking guests and
0: and, and so when did Roger Ailes first come on to
2: you? Well <laughs> from from the beginning when I first met him, as I said, he said that th- these were his insurance policy, these these compromising photographs and videotapes oh, two that, together. that he had taken of me. And um, he always reminded me of that. Roger Ailes was my mentor, my boss, and my torturer. And I really am a victim of Stockholm Syndrome. He still lives inside my head, and if if he were- <laughs> Here today, he would probably advise me to fight back. You know, it's complicated. It it because because of the fact that he was both my mentor and my boss, he had really high standards. And I was jumping through hoops trying to prove myself, you know, as a booker in Washington and then doing events for him. It was a very difficult situation. And it's complicated. And that's what people don't understand, that someone can be all of these things at the same time. (laughs) You're expected to show up for work and um, not talk about your experience. I mean, I, I kept it bottled inside for years. I didn't ever tell anybody and he threatened me. He threatened me for years that I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't tell a psychiatrist that I was seeing in Washington. He said, absolutely not, that I was to tell no one and so that that's part of my story of why it was so hard and why I'm suing Suzanne Scott because she's one of his chief enablers. And she has lied about me and this whole experience, I mean, Roger even. When I was under duress and they got me to sign something, a separation agreement, he never denied the sexual abuse. He he his his signature is is on my separation agreement. But Suzanne Scott has been nothing but hostile to me and lied about claiming that she didn't know about any sexual abuse in Roger Ailes' office, which is a total lie. She. She was. Do
0: you, do you think everybody at Fox News knew?
2: Well, that's why, um, Suzanne is gonna have a very rude awakening when we go to court, when we start calling hundreds of witnesses that will be able to call her a complete liar because she was his chief enabler. People on the second floor, which was with the power center, they, I believe that they knew and they certainly knew in his inner circle, and I don't know if you remember, there was a lawsuit against Bill O'Reilly, Andrea Macris. Of course, yeah. And I think the climate toward me really changed after the Andrea Macris situation. Because Rogers Inner Circle knew that he was, he was vulnerable. And what, what are they gonna do about me? And they, that's when they began to, I think that they had a whole strategy to smear me and discredit me as a witness, as a future witness. And that's what went on with a lot of gaslighting, a lot of harassment, a lot of malicious gossip and smears. but I was really terrorized the last few years I was at Fox, and it only got increasingly worse as time went on and you say do people did people know absolutely i mean, media relations um they they absolutely knew I mean with suzanne and well, you know, Other you members say, of his inner circle.
0: When you say they knew, um, did they know that there was some relationship going on?
2: I think people never really understood and, and that's, that's another thing that was always insulting to me and why I guess I have to write a book to set the, the record straight. I was a victim of mind control, brainwash, <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. He um, he used sexual abuse as a psychological tactic to control and brainwash me. And I, I have no idea what other people's experiences were, but I, I haven't heard from, you know, when, when these stories came out, when Gretchen Carlson sued, I haven't heard anything close to what I went through. And... um so and that's why I can't believe that Showtime has monetized my tragedy and blown me off. And I, you know, I think that your viewers should completely boycott this upcoming Showtime series. That's garbage because there's no way they know the truth.
0: Okay, okay just real quick, what do you think that Showtime got wrong? What do they say, and that you think didn't happen?
2: Well, for one thing, they made me. <laughs> they have. An actress playing the part of me. Mm-hmm. So they took—they've already taken my life without even consulting me or bothering to get find out what my story was or talking to me directly or compensating me in any way. And they're—they've been really nasty, and uh, their leadership at Showtime has been completely gutless and indecent. Um, and uh, I certainly will be boycotting it, and I. I think, you know, what they've done is is pretty criminal.
0: So one one last thing, because I know it's a complicated story, it's a long story. I wish we had more time to 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 uh, do it justice. And, and I know that everybody's got a slightly different point of view on it. And I'm sure Gabriel Sherman would say something different. Showtime would, and certainly Fox News is. Now I'm not a big fan of Fox News, so uh, I've seen them uh, lie about everything else. So. So I'd be surprised if they were the ones that were being honest here. But let's talk about that last question that I had for you. So if the folks at Fox News thought it was a relationship and not sexual harassment, okay, that would be, I suppose, the most positive light for them, right? So if they know it's sexual harassment and they're covering it up, it's terrible. It's hideous, right? If they think it's a relationship. Why would they then be concerned about you? Do you see what I'm saying?
2: But it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, and and um, there was their quid pro quo, and that's in my lawsuit. You know, I was all excited, and I guess '04 I got a a promotion, and I was in Roger's office, and (laughs) he was telling me about this promotion and how I'd report to Bill Shine and in New York and then he said oh and I need for you to go over to the double tree and thank me for your promotion so there was quid pro quo and there's proof of it and uh, no. I mean there, there's there's really nothing as I said he didn't deny he yeah. did he,
0: he so no Lori I don't doubt your story for a second as uh, as it, as it uh, certainly as it relates to Roger Ailes. Uh, What I'm asking is, what is the Fox News excuse for retaliating against you if they thought there was nothing to
2: retaliate for? I think it's just, they stay in that mode. That is their mode, attack, 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 Irina Briganti, media relations. There's no line they won't cross when it comes to smearing anybody that they view as a threat, and they viewed me as a threat within Fox when I was there, uh, which is why they wanted to discredit discredit me as a future witness. And I was always always a loyal employee, that's why it's all so terribly sad that Suzanne has turned out to be such a hypocrite, and so truly, truly dishonest, and come out and um, attacked me and attacked this lawsuit as frivolous, when she knows that if I start bringing witnesses, and we go to court, it is anything but frivolous. And why me? Why is she attacking me? Why, why is she refusing me a, a proper settlement when other women were definitely um, taken care of and, and settled up with? The, because there, I believe that there's there's a lot more to the story, and that's cuz I know that there is. And she had me check into a hotel in New York, the Warwick Hotel, under her name for six weeks. And she's denying all of this. She's denying that any of this happened. I mean, so there's a, a mountain of evidence, and she, she's going to find out when we go to court. What
0: all right. And, and I think that everybody will find out a lot more when you guys go to court. Lori Loon, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks Appreciate so. it. Thank, thank you for sharing you. your story. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back. Uh, The last half hour of the Young Turks, as you all know, is for members. Uh, And I'll be back on tyt.com slash join uh, to participate in that. We'll be uh, back in a minute.